talks about this in one of his songs. They're throwing money in the air. And they're saying, yeah, I'm making it rain. My God can really make it rain. Right? Like, he can have the clouds swell up with rain and drop with the thunder crashing, the lightning. My God can really do that. And we say, yeah, I, I can make it rain. But Tripoli says, you really only throw cash. You're throwing little pieces of paper up in the air and just, but my God can make it rain. So when we're singing that, that's powerful. That God, in this moment, he can rip the roof off this building and start making it rain right now. That's how powerful God is. That's the God that was sitting in a manger in Bethlehem. That's a sermon. Just kidding. Let me pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, God, that we can know you. Thank you, God, that we can know a God um, and be in a relationship with a God that can really make it rain. God, we're so little in comparison to you, yet you love us. God, you say that you can use the rocks to cry out, but God, we don't want you to use a rock today. God, we want you to use us. God, we want you to use your preacher, Lord, to say what this season really is about. God, Lord, if you don't use him, then we won't hear from you today, God. Don't let him say anything that he shouldn't say or say anything that um, he, don't let him not say anything that he needs to say. God, Lord, use him today, Father God. It's, he's your servant, Lord, and we ask that um, we would hear what it means um, to be naughty or to be nice, Lord, this Christmas season. We love you, and Jesus and I pray, amen. 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 If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 2 and stand on your feet with me. In honor of God's holy word. The title of this sermon is um, Naughty or Nice, and I got it from the song, uh, You Better Watch Out, You Better Not Cry, you Better Not Pout, I'm Telling You Why, Jesus Christ is Coming to Town. I like that song because it says, He sees you when you're sleeping, as if Santa really was omnipotent and omnipresent, and He knows when you're awake, He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Jesus Christ is coming to town, and he has come, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose in the east. And I've come and worshipped him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Amen. The title of this sermon is Naughty or Nice. And I picked that sermon, or I picked the title of that, that title, because um, there's two kings represented in this story. There's King Herod and there's King Jesus. One's naughty and one's nice. We're going to look at them. We're going to look at the, uh, a couple other people in this, in this story. Verse 1, we're just going to walk through it. Today I have no points. We're just going to walk through these six verses. Verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Jesus has a name in John 6, 35, the bread of life. And then Bethlehem literally translates into what? House of bread. The bread of life being born in the house of bread. 
me tell you something about this life. There's no such thing as coincidences. There is no such thing as coincidences that the bread of life should be born in the house of bread. What are the odds? There's no such thing as consequences in this life. Everything you do, from going number two, to taking a shower, to going to school, everything is planned out by God. There is nothing that's going to happen in his house, in his world, that he don't know about. I mean, I don't know if we have any, I hope we have some good fathers in here, but good fathers don't just let anything happen in their own homes. A good man, a good father knows exactly what's going on in his place. That's my God. There's no such thing as coincidences on his earth. Not one. Everything you do, every tear, every laugh, he sees it. It doesn't go un unwatched. Everything, he sees it all. He was born in Bethlehem in Judea, and in the days of Herod the king. I'll stop right there. Herod the king. This guy, you wouldn't want to be born anywhere near this guy's reign. Herod's nickname was King of the Jews. And Caesar gave him this name because he was king in a Jewish providence. And so they gave him that name. He's the king of the Jews. But he himself wasn't even fully Jewish. Jewish. His great, 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 grandfather was Esau. And Esau was the brother of who? Jacob, where Jesus came from. In the story, the two baby boys, Jacob and Esau, are in the womb of their mother. And this is where Jacob gets his name from. He's pulling on the heel of Esau, trying to get ahead. Isn't that like us? Always trying to get ahead. And God says, that's the one I'm going to use. That's the one I'm going to use. He ends up Get buying the birthright from Esau by tricking his dad and selling Esau some food, feeding his flesh. And so that's why we think of Esau as the flesh represented in that story and Jacob as the spirit. Well, in our story, Jesus, who came from Jacob, and then Herod, who came from Esau, first verse, that's a picture of the flesh and the spirit. I'll tell you something about your flesh and your spirit. They're always going to be at odds. These brothers from the womb, Jacob and Esau, were fighting. And from the womb, your flesh and your spirit are always going to be at odds. Always going to be at odds. This is why Paul says in Galatians 5, 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And we wonder why we can't worship. Some of us are standing in here like, I want to put my hands up. I want to close my eyes. I want to cry. I want to worship. Why can't I? The spirit and the flesh don't get along. The spirit and the flesh are opposed for each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is the thing about my generation. I'm not going to talk about my parents' generation. My generation, I think we actually do want to give God our best. I think we actually do want to live free. But we're so in love and in tune and hypnotized by our cell phones and by the music out in the industry, we can't do any of the things we want to do. We can't. We want to have a good, meaningful conversation with my family, but I'm too busy looking at people I don't know on Instagram. I want to know the God of the universe, but all the rappers are calling themselves gods and Jesus and all this stuff. So I want to know God, but I, I just can't. The spirit and the flesh are always at odds against each other. Always at odds against each other. Jacob or Jesus was born into hostility. 
Born into it. Verse 1, it says, Behold, the wise man from the east came to Jerusalem. Wise men. What this word, uh, wise men, this phrase means uh, magi. And what these magi did, um, they studied all types of things. Uh, dream interpretations, magic, ancient writings, sacred writings, all type of stuff like that. Even astrology. Um, and so they were from Persia. And they came from the east, it said. They're talking about Persia. Long ago in Jewish history, the Jewish people were in captivity in Persia and in Babylon. And while they were there, some historians think that they might have had a couple conversations with these magi. And so they might have talked to them about, like, hey, you want to you know some good ancient writings? What about our stuff? What about numbers? What about the prophet Balaam who said in Numbers 24, 17, that a star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It might have been one of the verses that they told the Magi. And so they were thinking about this verse and meditating on this verse. And all of a sudden, a star. And this is what the Jews were talking about. And these guys aren't Jewish. They were representing not being, they're not Christians. And they're like, hey, this is what those Jews were talking about. I want to ask you, are you the type of Christian who points people to Jesus? I mean, can people look back at you and be like, this is what Alex was talking about. This is, Jesus, this is the guy that, that God was talking about. Do you have friends like that? Are you that type of Christian who can point people to Scripture, to Jesus, and say, this is where the truth is? And if you're, if you're not even convinced that Jesus is the truth, just think about this. The way that they date times in the Old Testament is by kings. So we say, oh, oh, remember when we had that wedding? Oh, what wedding? Oh, back when Herod was king. Or back when Josiah was king. Oh, yeah, I know what that was. I know what that was. And that's how they kept time. Well, when Jesus came, when he was born, it was in 2 AD. They were a little bit off, a little bit off. But they're in 2 AD, which means anodemoni, which means in Latin, the year of our Lord. So Jesus was such a great king that they decided, hey, we're going to actually base the calendar on this guy. Not Josiah, not Herod, not any of these guys, but Jesus. So Herod started his reign about 64 to 66 years B.C., essentially before Christ, before Christ was even born. And when he came up, they started the calendar all over again. And now, even today, it is 2014 A.D., the year of our Lord, 2014 years since Jesus Christ was born, since the very first Christmas. Why, what makes this guy so important? Are you the type of Christian that points people to Jesus? And to be that type of person, I think we need to take a lesson from the wise man and be educated. Amen? The Bible says that my people die because of what? Because of a lack of knowledge. These guys weren't even Christian. They weren't Christian, yet they studied. I mean, they were getting A pluses on all their tests. Astrology, dream interpretations, math, everything. We wonder why we can't know God. It's because we don't know anything. We wonder why, oh, how come I can't get to know God? You can't even read. You didn't even know there was a language called Hebrew. Because we failed all of our classes. Why can we get to know God if we don't know anything? The Bible says... 
My people are destroyed. Why? Because of a lack of knowledge. You don't take school seriously. I mean, there's some Christians who really think they can grow with God by just listening to sermons. No. You've got to sit down and read the Bible for yourself. It's not going to just be handed out to you. God, you can't find Jesus on Google. We can't just Google Jesus and try to get a quick answer real quick. You've got to find him for yourself. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please who? To please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him or diligently seek him. To diligently or earnestly do something is to, I mean, put everything else aside and do it with all your heart. We don't do that. You cannot find Jesus on Google. That is not earnestly seeking him. I mean, you want to know how to make sugar cookies, you can Google it. You didn't earnestly seek that. Cannot find Jesus on Google. You want to know who God is? You got to get in your word. There's no other way. There's no other way. Pastor can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. You got to get in your word and know two things. That he, one, he exists. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. These wise men do that in this story. They were educated and they earnestly sought God out. Earnestly sought him out. It says, for we saw, or it says, where is he? They were saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Stop right there. King of the Jews, they're thinking, oh, we're Herod. They show up at Herod's door like, Herod, where's the real king of the Jews? The real one. We know you got your nickname, but where is the real king of the Jews? Jeremiah 23.5 says this. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In the book of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was a prophet, it was the end of Josiah's reign. He was the last good king, Josiah, the last God-fearing king. And Jeremiah came on the scene. He started preaching. Nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. Everybody wanted to do their own thing and follow their own gods, kind of like America right now. And he's, God's saying, hey, there's going to come a day where my king, a good king, you thought Josiah was the last one, but one more is coming. One more is coming. He's going to rule the whole earth. That was before Christ came, B.C. Now, in our day, we're waiting for Jesus to come and reign in the 1,000-year reign, right, in, in the book of Revelation. Jesus is going to come back. David's going to be on the throne, and Jesus is going to be above him. And he's going to reign here on earth like a super president. You don't believe me? Read the book of Revelation. He's coming back. Before Christ and now after Christ, he's coming back. And the scripture said, there's coming a day where the real king of Jews is going to show up. If the real king of the Jews is coming, what king are you worshiping? We have these dumb little fake Weak gods, like sex. Sex is the worst, I mean, the least satisfying God there is. We worship sex. I mean, all of our movies, all of our songs, all of our young men and women can't go two days without masturbating. We worship it, don't we? 
Every single week, we get on our knees in front of the altar of sex. Oh, sex, make me feel good. Oh, sex. What a puny God. What a puny, worthless God. And every rap song, every, every Christian, every song, not Christian song, every other song is talking about it. What a worthless God. Who is the king on your throne today? Is it your job? Is it your spouse? Is it money? What is money going to do? You understand that you can't, show up with, you can't show up to heaven with your wallet, right? There's no ATM like just, I'm, let me just swipe God real quick. Do I have enough? No. Money, sex, all these stupid things that are ruling over our life. You're going to let those things rule you? I mean, it's going a little tangent. I'm a youth pastor. Let me go on a tangent. None of those rap stars you're listening to are writing any of their songs. And you're just singing like, yeah. You know who's writing? Let me just crush your dreams right now. You know who's writing those raps? You know want to know who's writing YG's songs? You want to know who's writing Chief Keef's songs? First of all, if you think Chief Keef can write anything, you're just as dumb as he is. Do you want to know who's writing those guys' songs? A white guy in a, in a chair. I don't hate white people. My wife is light-skinned. But somebody is sitting there in that church writing the lyrics to that song. Why? We can't do slavery anymore. We can't do slavery anymore. I mean, we can't whip black people. We can't make them work out in the fields. We can't do that anymore. So we, we got to take that out of the equation. But how can we still make them slaves? How can we still make them do whatever we want and stay? And, and Hitler, we can't kill Jews anymore. We learn a lesson from Hitler. We can't kill them. We can't keep them in ghettos anymore. We can't keep them in concentration camps. So what can we do? Let's pick some hood stars, write their lyrics for them, try to make them put them on BET and put them on MTV and make all the black people try to be like them and so they can never get out of the ghetto. So they can never get out of these modern day concentration camps. Let's do that. Let's get them addicted to drugs, AIDS, and all types of kids and keep them in this side of town, West Fresno. Let's do that. Let's do that. Because I'm their king. If you think Chief keeps writing his own songs, you are just as dumb as he is. This guy, I mean, you've seen an interview with this guy. You don't understand what he's saying. I watched a, uh, watched a YouTube video of YG trying to do a word association uh, game or something. He couldn't even associate. He didn't know any of the words the guy was saying. He was trying to associate, like, you say a word, like, uh, uh, diligently, because we said it earlier. And he has to, like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? He was like, uh... And you think he, you wonder why his song is my Negro, my Negro, my Negro, my Negro. That song, it says Negro or the N-word, N-I-G-G-A, probably 95 times in that song. I'm dead serious. And at a concert, everybody is on their free, white people and black people and Mexican people saying, man, man, man. And they're just, and they're like, yeah, yeah. 50 years ago, somebody was yelling, And now over 90 times, you won't let somebody walk into your own house and call you the N-word, yet your kids are bumping it in the radio. Who is the king over your life? Is he naughty or is he nice? Is he Jesus or is he Herod? Is it the spirit or is it the flesh? Who is ruling you today? Don't let him 
rule you any longer. You are free. The Bible says if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Without Jesus, there is no hope on this planet. Without Jesus, we are never going to be free. But if Jesus is who he says he is, we're free. Annie Mineo has a song, or 116 did an album called Man Up a couple years ago. And they talked about different topics. And one of the topics they talked about was repentance. And Lecrae and Tripoli and Annie Mineo all killed it three years in a row on the BET Cypher. Killed all the secular rappers. Made them look stupid behind stage at the BET Awards. Just made them look dumb. All three of them, year after year after year. Andy Minio has the last verse, and he says, there I go again, I keep, or there I go again, yeah, I blew it. Everything I don't want to do, I keep doing it. Steadily feeling stupid. Instead of making excuses, I need to just face some music. I need you. Why don't we do that? Why don't we just face the music and say, God, I need you. I mean, I'm caught up in my flesh, God. I can't stop looking at porn. I want to stop, but I can't. I can't stop smoking weed. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop popping pills. I can't stop stealing. God, I can't stop having sex. I can't stop pimping out myself. I can't stop prostituting myself. God, I need you. There I go again. Yeah, I blew it. Everything I don't want to do, I keep doing. Everything I don't want to do, I keep doing it. I need to face some music, Lord. I need you. Why don't we do that? Who has ruined your life today? Don't let your, the flesh make a fool out of you, make an animal out of you. You know why Jesus was born in a manger, right? Because animals eat out of mangers. We need to eat on Jesus because sin is made of animals out of us. Animals out of us. It says that where's the real king of the Jews? We saw his star. This is how you know he's a king. He, he's got a star. Raise your hand if you have a star in this, in this room. Herod, where's your, where's your star? Where's the real king of the Jews? Because he's got a star. So this prophecy, Balaam in Numbers 24, 17, said a star will rise out of Israel, a scepter will rise out of Jacob. Numbers 24, 17. These wise men, they weren't Christians. Bless their heart, they took it literally. And so they were looking for the star. This is the thing. God actually meant it literally, but he also meant it metaphorically. What star means is often connected to, it's often connected to royalty. And scepter is what a, is what a king has. It's often, or scepter, thank you, is often connected to power and authority. And so when it's saying, I'm going to bring royalty, I'm going to bring authority out of Israel, it was talking about Jesus metaphorically talking about Jesus, but also literally these guys were looking for the star. And look, a star came out of Bethlehem in Judea. This is what this means. God speaks metaphorically, but also God speaks literally. Sometimes God literally means what he means. Like when he says, the wages of sin is death. That's literal. He's not playing a game. He's not being Jesus like, oh, he who has ears, let him hear. He's not being weird. He's being literal. Like you literally will die if you are still in your sin when Jesus shows up. 
at the end of your life, you will be separated from God for all of eternity in hell. Literally. This is not a, this is not a fantasy. Hell is real. Heaven is real. Sometimes God is metaphorical, but sometimes God means exactly what he means. If God is saying, hey, I want you to delete your Facebook, he's literally saying, delete your Facebook. Not unfriend a couple people and maybe just stay on it a little bit less. No, he's saying, get off of it. Because you have a problem with comparing yourself to other people and it's stealing your joy. So... Get off of it. If God is saying, stop hanging out with those type of guys, doesn't mean, oh, maybe you need to be more Christian and, 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 uh, and talk to them more about Christ. No. Get away from them. Sometimes God speaks metaphorical, but sometimes he speaks very literal and plain as day. A star is going to rise out of Jacob, out of Israel. It wasn't even a star. This was, the Bible makes it clear that because of how fast it was moving, it couldn't have been a comet. It couldn't have been a planet. It couldn't be the aligning of a planet. It couldn't be any of those things. It had to have been either two things, an angel or a divine supernatural phenomenon that God made specifically, specifically for that instance. When God does something in your life, it is not natural. It's supernatural. When God does something in your life, it is not natural. It is supernatural. When God does anything in your life, for you to say, oh, it's just a coincidence, or it's just natural, it's a slap in the God of the universe's face. I love how Jamila said it's a blessing that this door opened up up there in the town she's living in now. Why? It's supernatural. It's not natural. We think that, oh, yeah, the way that babies are formed inside the, the tummy, that's natural. No, that is not natural. That is super natural for, for a sperm to be inside of a woman's body and to find an egg with all the antibodies and white blood cells inside the body killing off every other sperm. For it to find one egg, it's no coincidence. It's not natural. It's supernatural. If God is talking in your life, as God is speaking to you, it's a Slap in his face to say, oh, it's whatever. Or I'll, get, I'll become a Christian a couple years down the road. You'll be surprised the young people who are giving God their life right now. 17-year-old guy named Kid, K-I-D-D. One of the greatest rappers I've ever heard in my life. He's got a song out with Swoop, a remix of a song called Same Team. And he has, the, I think, the second to last verse on there. 17 Puerto Rican kid. Giving God everything while he's still in high school, wearing a backpack. In the book of Malachi, the, uh, Malachi means messenger, and God is talking through Malachi to his people. And God says to his people, is it me or am I a really good God? And God is kind of tooting his own heart, like honk, honk. Is it me or am I a really good, fa- am I a really good father? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me that thinks that. But, I mean, the last time I checked, I'm the one keeping you breathing. I'm the one that's giving you clothes on your back. I'm the reason why you're not hungry right now. I'm the reason why you got a car you're not on the bus. I'm the reason why you got the blood flowing through your veins right now. Last time I checked. Yet, yet, you were coming to me with blind, sick animals 
three-legged sheep and putting them on my altar, saying, God will take whatever he gets. God will take whatever I give him. Why don't we give God our best? In the book of Malachi, they're saying, God is like, is it me? Have I done something wrong? Or am I not a good God? Yeah, you're giving me your worst, and I'm trying to give you my best. God gives us his best, and we give him our worst. We don't spend time with him. We don't talk to him. We don't take care of our bodies. We don't honor our bodies as temples. We put whatever in them. We let anybody in them. And we don't honor God. We don't give him our best as good as he has been to us. For the people in hell. For the people in hell to be looking at their life and saying, he was so good to me. He was so good to me and I gave him my worst. We don't, I mean, you ask us to diet. (laughs) Are you crazy? I am not dieting. I am not getting off Facebook. I am not stop looking at porn. Are you crazy? The audacity of God to ask me to stop doing something like that. God, are you crazy? We don't want to give God our best. The wise men did. Jesus did. When God speaks to you, it's not natural. It's supernatural. When God speaks to you, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that you're here today. It's not any more coincidence that you are here today than Jesus, the the bread of life, was born in the house of bread in 0 AD. Not a coincidence that you're here today. God is speaking to you and saying, hey, I love you. And I want the best for you. Here's our problem. If we don't give up the things that we, that love, that we love so much, we'll never get close to God. We're going to talk about that in the next verse. It says that when Herod heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem was with him. Verse 3. That word trouble means agitated. When you have a cup of coffee and you put cream in it, you agitate it. To spread the cream up. That's what it means. When they got this word from the wise men, it agitated him, stirred some up in him. That's what the word of God does. That's what Jesus does. That's why people don't like him. Elton John and his, and his husband are getting married today, and it's all over Instagram. We don't want to talk about gays. We don't talk, want to talk about all that type of stuff because I don't want to be agitated. Don't try to stir me. Don't try to stir me up. No. We don't want to be agitated. Jesus agitates. He says, I'm going to split up mother and daughter, father and son. It's going to happen. Jesus is an agitator. He stirs the water. Herod was agitated. Why? These guys just said, we're going to come and worship him. We've been on a pilgrimage coming to worship him. Literally, they they came on donkey a thousand miles. How far will you go to spend time with God? A thousand miles by donkey. Yeah, you don't, even, you don't even spend five minutes with God reading your Bible before you start your day. How far will you go to spend time with God? And they said, we're going to worship him. Herod is like, what do you mean you're going to worship him? I'm the real king. What do you mean you're going to worship him? Because when they, were spoken to, when they were speaking to Herod, what they really said in Hebrew, speaking to Herod, is that we're going to kneel before him. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2 says, a leper... A leper come, came running to Jesus. Jesus is full grown now, 30 years old. Running to Jesus, gets down on his knees and says, God, if you, you want to heal me, you can. God, if you want to heal me, you can. He's on his knees saying, God, if you want to heal me, you can. He's worshiping God. 
We are too prideful to get on our knees and say, God, I need you. Too prideful to get on our knees and say, God, I need you. God, God, if you don't heal me, I won't ever be healed. God, you got to heal me. God, I can't have, I have no help without you. God, I need you. I need you now, and I needed you way before when I was running. I was trying to be my own savior. God, I need you. I'm dying out here. My limbs are falling off. God, I'm killing myself slowly. Everything I don't want to do, I keep doing it. Steadily feeling stupid. Instead of making excuses, I just need to face some music. God, I need you. Why? Who has ruined your life? Is it the spirit? Is it the flesh? Is it Jesus or is it Herod? Is it something naughty or is it something nice? Who has ruined your life today? Herod's like, what do you mean you want to kneel before him? And he's troubled. He's agitated. He's like, what are you talking about? He wants to worship. Isn't that our flesh? We don't, want to, we don't want to kneel down to anybody but the television, anybody but the computer screen, anything but sex. We don't want to kneel down to anything. The reason why our, so many people in our generation are going to go to hell and not grow with God is because Andy Minio, again, says, if you want to grow with God, it's not complicated. It's costly. To grow with God is not complicated. It's costly. This is what it means. Alex, you got to stop skateboarding so much. I know you love skateboarding. I know it's your biggest passion on this earth. you got to stop it. You need to get in your word. Read the Bible. Read about me. Let me change your heart. Let me give you hope. Talk to me. Pray to me. Spend time in my presence because when you're in my presence, I change your present. Spend time with me. It's not complicated. It's costly. Put your phone down. Put it on Do Not Disturb. Thank you, Steve God, Steve Jobs, for giving us Do Not Disturb. Put it on Do Not Disturb. It's not complicated. It's costly. Stop shopping so much. Give God your money. Turn off the TV. Turn off the music. Say no to your flesh. Say no to one meal. I mean, just say no to maybe having, not having dessert tonight. That's too much. It's not complicated. It's costly. It's going to cost you something. Why? It costs God everything. You understand that Jesus is sitting up in heaven on the throne. He's just watching the sins that he's going to take on accumulate with interest. Every generation just sinning more and more and more and more. And Jesus is just like, yeah, I gotta, I'm going to have to pay this. Just accumulating. It's going to cost you something because it costs God everything. William Staley, one of our uh, ushers here at our church, has had a baby. I'm foolish to think that if I go out here and... and run over somebody's kid and I have to go pay the death penalty, that Will Staley's going to be like, hey, take my baby, man. Take my baby. I'm foolish to think that Reverend Brown's going to pick one of his, uh, oh, yeah, you. I'm going to let you die in Alex's place. Foolish. My little cousin over there. I'm foolish to think that if I deserve to pay the death penalty, Drisha's going to take my little cousin and put him in the electric chair. Yet isn't that what God did? Following Christ is going to cost you something because it cost God everything. Cost his son. Everything. All he knew was Jesus. I mean, it was his baby boy and he put him on the altar for us. That don't make sense to us. The ones of us who have children should be just agitated in our heart to think that God would do that for us. It's going to cost you something. It might cost you Facebook. It might cost you skateboarding. I don't know what it's going to cost you, but it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus.
All Jerusalem was scared with him, was troubled with him. Why? Because Herod was a killer. They said it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be part of Herod's family. It was better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be part of Herod's family. Why? Because Herod might go a couple days without wanting some bacon. Herod might go a couple breakfasts without wanting some bacon. But if he didn't like you and you're his brother and you're his sister or his mother or his wife, Check history. He'll kill you. The people are scared like, oh, I think Herod's going to go kill somebody again. It's better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of Herod's family. People in Jerusalem, God's people, scared, poopless. Since when does fear rule Christians? Since when does fear rule the life of a Christian, when the God of the universe says, you are mine, I'm not going to let anything happen to you that you can't, that, you, that I can't take care of or that you can't go through. Yeah, yeah. Since when is fear ruling the life of a Christian? This is the thing, this is the thing about fear. I talked about this in class, and my honors is for Dr. Bruce Buckle. Fear paralyzes, it kills you. Death doesn't bring fear. Fear brings death. When you're fearful, you're not doing anything. When you're fearful, you're not out finding a wife. You're on, com- you're on the computer trying to find a wife. When you're fearful, you're not out trying to make friends. You're on the PlayStation Network trying to find friends. Fear paralyzes you. It brings you to a standstill. These people were fearful. Why? They lost their first love. They stopped spending time with God. They stopped reading their Bibles. They stop praying. They stop. I mean, they used to be, every time the church is open, we got to get to the church. Bible study, we got to get to the church. Every time the church opened, they were there. But somewhere between when they first became a Christian and where they are now, they lost their first love. And now they're fearful of a king. A king. When Romans says, neither death nor life, man-made or heavenly rulers, earthly rulers, principalities, it don't matter who it is. Nothing can separate us from the from the love of God. When God took you, he says, nothing's going to take me away. When God took you, he said, nothing is going to take me away. I will let my son die again before I let myself be taken away from you. It's not going to happen. What are we so fearful of? Fear paralyzes. Fear paralyzes, but faith, faith pursues. Verse 4, this is the second to last thing I'm going to say. The assembling of the chief, chief priests, not chief keep, chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them, where's the Christ supposed to be born? So he's agitated. Herod's scared. So he asked the chief priests, hey, where's this guy supposed to be born? And they say, there's a, there's a scripture. And Micah 5.2 says, in Bethlehem, two things. Chief priests were like pastors. They were like scribes. They were like the top Christians in the day. They were the ones that were always on stage making sure everything in the temple was going okay. Making sure everything in the temple was going right. The music, everything was going good because they were the head of the temple. And they were the most religious. And those two things, their popularity and their piety, their popularity and their piety is the exact reason why they're so close to Jesus in proximity but so far from Jesus personally. Their popularity and their piety 
was the reason why they were so close to Jesus in proximity, but so far from Jesus personally. What I mean by that is because they're kind of popular in their church. I mean, I'm a deacon. I'm a preacher. I mean, I play an instrument. People kind of know me. I teach life groups. My popularity in my church was the re- is the reason why I'm not close to God personally. And it's not that. My piety. My piety, right? I mean, I'm so religious. I mean, I, 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 I know all the scriptures. I know Micah 5 too. I know all of it. I mean, I know the Bible backwards and forwards, but their popularity and their piety was the reason why they were so far from God personally, but yet so close to God in proximity, literally five miles. I'm not five miles away from my house right now. Five miles away from God. And the chief priest, the pastors, and that's, a, that's calling us out. That is calling me out. I think of God when he says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you at? We were so close walking in the garden. We were so close, but where are you now? Popularity and piety. Popularity and piety. It says Micah 5.2. It says this, Herod. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's interesting because if you go to Micah 5.2 and read all of it, it says that David was born in Bethlehem. And it says that David was an unlikely king. An unlikely king. You think about the, the story of David and Goliath. We all know this from VeggieTales. David and Goliath, they're saying, we need one of your kids to fight this, to come enlist in the army. And it's like, okay, we need, how about this son? How about this son? How about this son? How about this son? And they go all the way down to the bottom to David. And David is in there, like, playing in the dirt with a little sheep. And like, that's so, God's like, that's the one I want. That's the one I want. God likes the unlikely. David was born in Bethlehem, an unlikely king. And the fact that David was chosen as the king of Israel, an unlikely king, foreshadows the fact that David's birthplace was going to be the least likely of places for the true king to be born. God likes the unlikely. God likes the unlikely. If you're here today and you think, well, God can never love me, as bad as the things I do behind closed doors. I mean, if he really knew how much stuff I've done, God would not want me. God would not want me. I mean, I am a piece of work. My own parents don't even want me. My own dad doesn't even want me. My own step-parents don't even want me. The adoption agencies don't even want me. How could God want me? My girlfriend don't even want me. My boyfriend don't even want me. Nobody on this planet really wants me. How could God want me? Because God wants the unlikely. Moses couldn't speak. Abraham, old as heck. Jacob, a liar. Jesus, born in Bethlehem in a manger of a virgin. They made fun of him, like, Jesus, where's your real dad? Jesus, you're a bastard. Jesus, you're a bastard. Where's your real dad? God likes the unlikely. And one day, the unlikely took all of our sins, all of our sins upon his back, got upon two wooden beams, and they nailed huge nails through his wrists and through his feet, put a crown of thorns 
on his head and spit on him. King of the Jews, you're a bastard from Bethlehem. Who are you? Get down from the cross if you really know who you are. Took those spits and those bruises, and those stripes because of us. Andy Minio in the same song I've been quoting this whole time says, healing only comes from those stripes and those bruises. A different song, he says, the holes in your hands are proof that you'll never drop me. Once he died once, he's never going to die again while he finished it. He rose again from the grave and said, it's done, it's finished. And I did it for you. God likes the unlikely. Who's ruining your life? Who's ruling your life today? Is it your flesh or is it the spirit? Is it naughty or is it nice? Amen? Father God, thank you for this time, Lord. We went a little bit over our time, Lord, but we know it was, it was supernatural. It wasn't natural. We know, God, when you speak to us, God, it's, it's not a coincidence that we're here today, God. We pray that we would take the appropriate action and position and to give you our best, God, and not let the flesh rule our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Everyone standing, the attitude of prayer. What are we praying for? We're praying that God would draw, would you draw them, 